welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, your weekly glimpse into the life of indie author Paul Teague. Find out how many words got written over the past seven days, hear what's on the planning board, and discover the tips and tools which Paul is using to self-publish his books and get them selling as fast as possible. This is Paul's Podcast Diary, and here's your show host, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, episode 190, Saturday the 29th of February 2020. Coming up this week, my second blog tour kicks off next week, but will I be able to shake off those bad reviews on two years after? Draft one of my non-fiction book is completed. I'm now working through the feedback that podcast listeners have left me, and I have news of a momentous money-related matter that occurred this week. Welcome to this week's podcast diary. Lots of writing got done this week, and I have now finished off my podcasting book. So on Friday 21st of Feb, I wrote 2,586 words. On uh, Saturday 22nd, I wrote 2,711 words. And then that was my 5,000 words written over two days. And on Sunday, I, I knew that it would be somewhere in the ballpark number of, of 5,000 words. It turned out that I needed another 3,021 words to finish that book. So that's me finished first draft now. I'm up to 53,000 words for that book. Now, previously, when I wrote science, not science fiction, nonfiction books, my I was writing to about, I think, about 25 to 30K words on those books. But they were very much step-by-step how-to guides. And there were lots of illustrations in them, which is part of the problem why I haven't uh, republished them. This is all text. It won't have anything fancy in it at all. It's literally going to be chapter headers and subheadings and then normal text. There will be nothing fancy in this book um, at all. I'm going to keep it really, really simple. So I I seem to have quite a lot of people inside that book at the moment having a look at it because I've got 10 or so, I can't remember how many it is, 10 or so uh, of of you podcast listeners who stepped forward and said, we'd like to have a look at the book. So I've got podcast listeners looking at it now, reading it as uh, prospective podcasters or new podcasters. But also this week, I reached out to three people who are mentioned in the book, because as a courtesy, I just wanted them to have a look at it and just be aware that they were mentioned, just in case they heard it third hand. So there are three podcasting gurus I mentioned. One is Dave Jackson, who runs a podcast called The School of Podcasting. Now, Dave I bought some consultation off Dave and I listened to his podcast. It's a podcast about podcasting and, and Dave's been doing it for about 10 years. He's he's on something like episode 700, which is just incredible. Uh, so I, Dave's the person I go to to learn. Dave's in the US. I also in the UK, I think the gentleman who's probably regarded as the certainly the most prominent authority on podcasting in the UK is a gentleman who lives in Scotland, Colin Gray, who I've also met at my my mastermind sessions. Colin Gray um, also produces um, training and support around uh, podcasting. And so I've recommended Colin. And I've also referred several times to Joanna Penn, because obviously she's one of the podcasts I listen to very commonly. But I make reference to Joanna's early podcasts and talk about how she started with very simple technology and is now um, what I would regard as the the podcasting queen of the indie author scene. So um, I've referred to all those people. So I reached out to Dave, to Colin and to Joanna this week and just let them know that they were in the book and sent them a link if they wanted to have a look at it too. I didn't send one to Joanna, but I have to Dave and to Colin. So uh, they've also been having a look at the book. So I'm getting lots of feedback at the moment. 
And uh, it's interesting how uh, I remember, was it Bill, Bill Cocos, when Bill was reading Now You See Her? Um, uh, initially, I'd said to Bill, if you could just look it over and look for Americanisms and things like that. And I know that when people are looking at the book, they just can't resist changing spelling mistakes. Uh, and so I know that a couple of people who've been reading the book just couldn't resist changing spelling mistakes. And although I said at the beginning, you know, don't change it because it's my first draft and it's going to be full of them. I only said that really because, you know, you're going to be there all day changing the spelling mistakes because I haven't even gone through it yet. Um, but uh, obviously people haven't been able to resist it. And to be honest with you, it is actually very helpful for, for me that you have done that because it saves me a lot of time having to read the whole thing. So I've gone through basically this week in the evenings when I've had time, I've just gone through all the, the simple comments that people have made and I've been making those changes. So often people have said to me, that feels like it ought to be at the beginning of the book, not not at this stage. This chapter or this subsection feels like it ought to go there. So I've just been responding to all the things that people have suggested to me, um, that I things that I sort of agree with and uphold, or I think that's fair enough. Because um, obviously I won't I won't take notice of everything because if I if you know a book written by committee, you know what that's going to be like, don't you? So um, everything that I, um, everything that I think is is fair enough, I'm doing. Some things I do reject because um, you know the final decision is mine. But uh, it's all handy, good quality stuff. It's great. Um, and, and where people are asking for clarification or a little bit more information, that's great. So it's really, really helpful feedback. But in the way that when I wrote Now You See Her, Bill Cocos was the, the first person I'd ever let into a raw script so that, you know, Bill was actually watching me virtually as I was writing the book. I've actually had, I can't remember how many I've got in there. It's over 10 people in, in the book at the moment who've actually had direct access to, to see the book as it's been written. So it's a funny experience for me because it is quite, uh, you know, quite you're exposing yourself quite a lot because as I said in the notes at the front of the book, this is literally, this is what you, I have not corrected this. This is what's come out first draft typing. Um, you know, I, have, I don't go through it. Um, I just bang the words out first and then I fancify them um, because that's how the writing gets done. If you sit there picking over it when you're writing it, you'll never get the work done. So, you know, I bang it out first of all, and then I fix it in post-production, as they say. So that's what I've been doing this week. Now I've got two days for it this week. So Saturday this weekend and Sunday this weekend, I am going to be reading through that book now. Uh, so this this is my first read. Uh, I say my first read. It's the first proper read of it. And I will be putting other stuff right and working through any other comments that have come there in the meantime. And I've said to people who've got access to that book that you've now got until the 15th of March to make any changes that you want. And after that, you've got to forever hold your peace because it's going off for a proofread at that stage. You know, at some point we have to stop, we have to stop the committee effort and I have to stop listening to suggestions that people give me. And I have to say, right, drawbridge up. That's it now. This is how the book's going to be. And because it's self-publishing, um, you know, it's been very handy having people's comments on there. It's great. Uh, because it's self-publishing, my view is is that we'll you know we'll tidy it up, make sure there's no spelling mistakes in it. We'll get it out there, and I can change it at any time of my pleasing in the future. And I can do a version two. Um, and I was talking to somebody who gave me some comments saying, "Oh, it'd be nice to have um, you know um, boxes in there with with fun facts and things like that," which I think is a brilliant idea. But what I've said with this book is um, it's, I'm going to use the bootstrapping principle on it, uh, which is what we used to do when we built software and, and WordPress plugins. And the, boot, the bootstrapping concept is that we just get the thing out there, a minimum, an MVP, a minimal, minimum viable product. Um, so I'm going to get the text out there in, you know, it's, in its complete form. 
And then if the book sells and it gets good reviews, then it would be worth me spending a little bit more time then to put it to a formatter and to making the form, you know, to pay more to get the formatting done. So there's no way this book's going to have that kind of, you know, massive, oh, we've sold a million copies in a week because of, it's going to have that first day launch fill. It's not going to have that. It's a podcasting book. It's an evergreen general book. And like my MailChimp book, what I'm hoping is that it will sell over time. Uh, you know, it will sell constantly like that MailChimp book does over time. That's what I'm after with my nonfiction books that sell over time. But the lesson that I've learned since I did it last time is I don't want to have to update them. I don't want them getting dated so quickly. So that's that's what I'm mitigating with this new style of book. So I'm not putting web links in. So a couple of people have set a web link here. And actually, my intention is not to put there'll be one web link probably in that book. And it will be a web link to a web page. And all the web links will be on that web page. Now, think of that strategically. If I send people who've triggered an interest in podcasts to a resources page on my website, I can build an audience and build a list around that. Um, so that makes much more sense strategically. I can build retargeting audiences on Facebook around that. So it makes much more sense to, I don't know about you, but when I'm reading a nonfiction book, either as paperback, I, well, I never click the links in a Kindle because it's a mess on a Kindle if you click the links. So normally in a paperback book, you'd have to go back and, and find the link. And, 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 I, and it's actually a real nuisance to do that. So to me, as a user experience, it makes much more sense to have all the links on a website. That means that rather than me having to update the book, I simply have to update a website. If something changes, I can put updates in the website rather than the book. Um, and also I can have affiliate links on the website which I can't have in an Amazon book. And also I can build audiences there by having a mailing list on the website and I can build Facebook audiences on there. So strategically to me, it makes much more sense to have a nonfiction book that sends the reader to just one simple web address, which is going to be startapodcast.com. So there's only going to be one web address in that whole book. Uh, and that's my reasoning for that. So if you are somebody whose feedback said a, a link would be handy here, a link would be handy here, I am going to put at the beginning of the book and probably at the end of the book, it's good to say, you know, where you would expect a link, go to this page, all the links are there. Um, so I haven't put that in at the moment, but that will be prominently in the book when it gets published, because that's how I want to do it. And again, remember, this is an exercise for me in figuring out I'm, you know, I'm writing, I said to you this in January, I'm writing this as an exercise because I want to figure out how to write nonfiction books in a way that they don't date so I can get longevity out of them, so I can get those ongoing sales like I get with the MailChimp book. Um, but also I'm not changing them every five minutes because I want to have a bank of nonfiction books. I don't have to update every five minutes. That's really what I'm aiming for with here. And so this book has been an exercise in me working out how I'm going to do that and um, you know, working through the teething issues, thinking it through, seeing how it works. And then I will just rinse and repeat that with nonfiction in future. So long as I can come up with some nonfiction ideas that I know enough about to write books on. So that's where we're up to with that book. The other thing I want to tell you about that book, by the way, is I've decided, um, I did say to you at the beginning of the year that I wanted to record an audio book around it. And I really, really do want to record an audio book around it. But the more I think about it, I just cannot find the will to record it because I know what a pain it, it's going to be to record. 
every little squeak, you can hear my chair squeaking in the background, every little squeak, every little gurgle that your mouth makes and everything, all that's going to be edited out. And, it, and I just think, oh, I can't, I just can't face it. So I, I may, I may change my attitude when I finish work and I've got, if I've got, if I find I've got more time on my hands, I may change my attitude. But at the moment, I, I'm just going to back off from what I said I would do, which was to record the audiobook. I really want to, and I should, obviously I should do it, but the thought of it just makes me feel, it just you know takes the energy away from me. It doesn't inspire me in any way. So uh, I really do want to get an audiobook attached to my non-fiction, um, but I don't know how I'm going to do it at the moment, and I have no will whatsoever to do it. I have no inclination whatsoever to record my own audiobook. So I, I am going to park that. Um, but I really do, you know, the simple solution for me is for me to do it, for me to upload it, and for me then to experiment with audiobooks and, uh, you know, to have an audiobook, a, an ebook, and uh, a non fiction book. It, it makes all the sense in the world, but I just can't find the will to do it, I'm afraid. So I'm sorry about that. Uh, that may change, as I say, but at the moment, at this moment in time, and I am pretty busy at the moment because I did say to you, I am taking on a lot of clients at the moment. I've just been to see one this morning, actually. Um, I'm taking on a lot of clients at the moment because I'm putting eggs into my new basket. I'm very mindful that I need to be building up the client work in the way that I wound it down when I was doing salaried work, because the more clients I've got to fill in those gaps and for me to put in now my new flexible um, schedule, um, you know, that really works for me. Um, I'm not really going to get much time to do very many clients over March because I've got so much on in March. But from April in my schedule, I'm looking at an awful lot of free time. And I certainly want one day a week, Tuesdays as, as it's going to be, um, to be to, 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 for me to be having some clients in there. So I'm taking on a lot of clients at the moment, basically to sort of train the people who who who, uh, who give me these employees to let them know that I am available and open for business. So uh, again, my time has become much more squeezed than it was when I originally gave you my objectives for, for January, February and March. I thought I was going to finish work originally um, at the end of November, I think it was, I'm sure it was. And then I just kept extended month by month. But I can tell you, that I am definitely stopping salaried work this Wednesday. Wednesday the 4th of March will be my final day of salaried work. Now, you never say never. <laughs> I've learned that as I've got older. Uh, that, that, in theory, is my last day of salaried work. But it, it's really funny, this. Uh, you, we're, I know we're all at different stages in our lives. And those of you who are at my kind of stage of life, when you're, you, you're, you're using words like retirement, which... You know, it's come early. I'm only 55, for goodness sake. You know, I'm still a spring chicken. But to be using words like that it feels really strange. And I'm looking at my schedule. If I look at my schedule from April onwards, I've got a busy month, as I say, in March. There is a lot of free time in there. And for somebody who's who's worked for years, you know, I started work as a teenager at the age of 13. I've, I've, I've been so used to packing my time when I did A-levels. There was, a, there was a time when I was a teenager that I was running a disco, I was working in a restaurant, and I was gardening for about three people, as well as balancing my academic studies. I have always worked, and I've always been entrepreneurial. I've always had lots on, lots going on. Um, and that's the way I like it, to be honest with you. I'm not, I'm not, and I can't imagine me being the kind of person who sit down and do nothing all day. I just can't see that. So for me, um, you know, this this stopping salaried work, I'm, I'm looking at that thinking, well, you know, if if a job came up, two days a week. And I, I ain't going full-time. I'm having something very special to even consider full-time now. But if something came up that winked at me, and that was two days a week, for instance, neither here nor there, I can't rule it out. 
because if it was exciting, if it excited me, and I have to say that um, something like a contract for a year or six months, that's the sort of thing that would probably excite me now, you know, rather than signing your life away forever. But I'm, I'm not ruling it out, is what I'm saying. This is, I just don't know where we're going to go. But at the moment, um, obviously, we've got the client work, as long as that uh, tender that I put in for last week, as long as that gets renewed, of course, I haven't messed it up. Um, so we've got the client work, we've got the writing work, that's going to form the ballpark of it. But I have other things going on that I don't talk about in this podcast as well. So, you know, there's plenty there's plenty going on. But at the moment, I'm, I was just, again, planning the other day, thinking, you know, realistically, I'm going to prioritise Tuesdays for clients, and I'll take a couple of clients on Tuesdays. That, you know, that brings in quite a good bit of extra income per month. I don't need to be taking on too many clients which gives me Mondays and Wednesdays, inverted commas, free. Now, I'm writing on Thursdays and Fridays. Uh, that's fiction. I'll be doing non-fiction on Sundays. You know, a week's quite a long time when you don't, ha- when you don't have to, you don't have to sit in a chair to be at work or whatever it is you do in your work. So, you know, this is flexible. This is flexible. But what I can tell you is, is I, you know, I will not want to have, what I want is flexibility. I won't want to have too much leisure time on my hands because that's not the way that's not the way I like to live. I like to be busy. I like to have lots on. So formally, it's the last day of salaried work on Wednesday. But don't hold your breath because if something came up and winked at me, I might think about that. But I have to say to you, I am absolutely dying to get on with stuff with my books. I'm I'm dying to have a bit more time. The websites need some work. I, I, I'm having success, as most of us are, with Amazon ads in the I can spend $20 and make $60 in sales, but it's I can't ramp it up. And I want to have the time to sit there for a day, just banging out different versions of Amazon ads to see if, if I got 50 ads going, will that scale it up? So there's so many things I want to do that have got squeezed around the lack of time that I've got. So I, I can tell you that I really am itching to have more time to work on my my author work, to look at Facebook ads again, and all these things that I want to do and master. I never really have enough time to do it. So that, that really is quite exciting for me. So I've got three more days left. Wednesday, the 4th of March is when I finish salaried work. And then, I'm just trying to think, and then on Thursday, the 5th of March, I'm seeing a client between 11 and 1 in the morning. So <laughs> you know what I said to you about about this not being retirement. It really is not retirement. It is the end of salaried work and that's it, frankly. Okay, so that brings you up to date. On Monday, I'm a bit jittery again because I have the blog tour for the revamped two years after book. That begins on Monday, the 2nd of March. Now, uh, I'm a lover of blog tours. I'd never done one before. I'd resisted it. I was terrified with Left for Dead but my experience of it was great. I found the, the book bloggers, I found them supportive. There were one or two who who book blogged there who, who clearly weren't um, a few, they, they they were fine with the book but they weren't effusive about the book but they were still kind in the way that they reviewed they were positive in the way they reviewed so I all in all it was uh, it opened my eyes and so I contacted Sarah Hardy who's managing my blog tours and I've got two years after booked in for Monday and then I've got the revamped version of So Many Lies booked in for I think it's April, something like that. So again, if you recall, two years after has got, I think it's got one one star, a couple of two stars, something like that. And then lots of people who said it's the best thing they've read or they're very effusive about it. So it's one of those chalk and cheese books. And and from my point of view as the writer, it was almost it was always intended to be like that because it has, I acknowledge it in the author notes, it has a 
uh, a difficult ending in that it's not an easy ending. Um, if you want the happy ending for the protagonist, you don't get it in that book. So I, I know it's potentially a problematical ending, but I want to stick with it longer before I rewrite it. I know I can always go back and rewrite it and make a happy ending. And I know how I'd make that happy ending. But I, the thing is, is I've got, is it 13 books out now? And although my books, I wouldn't say they're formulaic, um, you know, clearly you, you, as a writer, you tend to reflect the same themes, I guess, the same viewpoint over time. So my books aren't formulaic. And if there's one thing I'm pleased about for feedback that I get in the box sets, and actually it, it's that people say these books are all completely different. Uh, so whilst I hope that when you read my books, you know what to expect from me, I don't think they're, I hope they're not predictable and I hope they're not formulaic. And this book, two years after, if you've read the other 12 books, I, I want to I want to have something that's disruptive for the readers. So I don't want you, for instance, to feel that if you've read the other 12 books, that you're always going to get a happy ending. I want to challenge you as a reader. Now, uh, I'm going to use a Star, a Star Trek analogy here, but those of you who are sort of my kind of age and, and remember Star Trek The Next Generation, which is quite, uh, 1990s, I think it is now, when... Tasha Yar died. And I have referred to this a couple of times in this diary. Basically, a main character died in Star Trek. And everybody makes the jokes about the original Star Trek, about if you're in a red shirt, you're going to die. And, and that's how it was. And I don't want my books to be like, oh, if you're in a red shirt or if you're a main character, you're not going to die because there's no jeopardy there. And I wanted to write a book where the protagonist doesn't get a happy ending. Because then if you are reading all my books, if you are a fan and you read everything I've written, that disrupts your experience. And it means that when you're reading future books, you don't quite know whether it's going to be a happy ending or it's going to be one of those endings. And that gives you more sort of jeopardy as a reader. You don't really don't know when you're reading my books. Whereas if you get a happy ending every time, well, you know it's going to be a happy ending. and You know it's all going to come out in the end. And I think that removes a lot of jeopardy. So I have done that strategically and I am going to stick to it. Um, now, if I get a load of terrible reviews on this blog tour, that's what I'm very nervous about, to be honest with you. If I get a load of terrible reviews for it, then clearly I, you know, these are these are hardened psychological thriller readers. They know their stuff, and if they really don't like it, I'm going to have to take that on the chin and accept it as a rejection uh, down to tropes in, in in the books that I write. And I, and then if I do get that rejection uh, after I've shed a few tears. Um, I'm going to have to go back, write a, a more satisfactory ending, and then I'll probably re-release it as a version two. I'll burn it to the ground and re-release -re it as a version two. That's probably what I'll do with it. And, and that is the joy of self-publishing. Um, and I have no problem doing that at all, you know, because it's iterative. Um, again, I come from a background of, of building softwares. You don't get softwares right every time. Think of the latest version of Windows when you get it. Um, Microsoft will release the latest version of Windows. The surefire way to find out whether it works or not is to put the, let the public crawl all over it, just like it is with a book. Uh, the public will tell you what they think. They'll find all the problems with it. Then you, as soon as Microsoft release the latest version of Windows, you soon get lots of patches because there's loads of things they've missed, even though they've tested it. And then over time, they get it right. Well, that's my view of a self-published book that we make it as good as we can when we release it. I mean, we certainly don't release it. We don't release anything thinking it's junk and rubbish and, and it's got flaws. But the sure way to find out is to get the public crawling on over it. You'll soon find out. And the same applies to software as it does to books. And so 
like with this book, if, if I really do get rejected in the reviews, if too many people don't like the ending, that's fine. We'll just apply a patch. We'll, we'll rewrite the ending and off we go. We'll re-release it and, and off we go. So I, I just don't have a problem with that at all. It, it doesn't trouble me. But from a, a reader experience, having written 13 books now, I do not want to become predictable. Um, and so if you if you read that book in the context of 12 others, I don't have a problem with that. And I really want to hold, I want to hold my position um, until I get feedback that really tells me I'd be stupid to ignore it. So fingers crossed, please, for this blog tour on Monday. Now, I will let you into a little secret. There's a lady called Nikki who loved the Left for Dead books and reached out to me. And I sent her the two follow-ups for Left for Dead. She's reviewed those, given them five stars. And, uh, and because she got back to me, I said, you don't want to read two years after, do you? I'd quite value your opinion on this. And she read it and she loved it. She thought it was brilliant. I mean, she was really, really effusive about it. And she is going to be one of the people on this blog tour. So I already know that her review is going to be good for the blog tour. So uh, that gave me a little bit of confidence because she, these people who do blog tours, they read a, they're doing a book a week. So they, they know the genre, they know the tropes. Now, she was really effusive. About it. She absolutely loved it. Um, when, when she, so I'm hoping, I'm hoping I'm going to get sort of 15 people who or at least 10 of them feel that way about the book but we'll soon find out and you will know this time next week in the diary i'll let you know if, if the podcast begins with the sobs of a grown man you'll know that it didn't play out the way i wanted it to okay so next friday i'll be recording this podcast a little earlier because i'm jumping on the train to london now that's if we all get that far with this coronavirus at the moment so I mean, it seems to be okay, doesn't it? But I, it doesn't take much imagination. I write dystopian fiction. It's like I was, I was in the office. We had um, the people I work for had done a guide, uh, an employer's guide to coronavirus and what you should do at an employment situation. And we had somebody from a local TV station in uh, coming to record a an interview with somebody at the place I work. And we were having a laugh in the office beforehand. And I was sharing my science fiction dystopian writer theory. Uh, that it's come from uh, nanobots, that the Chinese were testing nanobots and um, they're, 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 they're monitoring the spread patterns of the virus so that they can release something uh, much more virulent in the future. Virulent, virulent. When I think about it, I can't say it. Virulent, virulent. I can't say it, but you know what I mean. Um, and so, and, and I don't mean that for one minute, of course. That's just my dystopian sci-fi head going, thinking, hmm, you know, how can I develop that into a story? Because, you know, the next or the future wars, if the, if the next wars aren't, will probably be fought with nanos. And you can bet your life someone's experimenting with it somewhere. And, uh, you know, so it, 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 it my, it's just my creative mind. It's like with the um, the poison in Salisbury. It was close to Porton Down, where we test terrible things in this country. And it doesn't take very much imagination. I think even Mark Dawson's turned it into a thriller, hasn't he? It doesn't take very much imagination to think, well, you know, was it the Russians or or was it something from Porton Down? And I'm not from I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but you know, my, my mind just gets racing with things like that. Anyhow, that's just a by the by. You know, it's good fiction as far as I'm concerned. But with the coronavirus anyway, you know, who knows? They they might start advising that big gatherings of people where they're not essential um, aren't held. So it doesn't take much imagination that that might happen in the next week, for instance. So I'll believe it when we see it. But I'm certainly intending to set out on the journey uh, on Friday because, of course, I mean, I might be I might be patient zero because I'm going down to London on Friday. 
Then I'm heading across to Paris. I'm staying in Paris and doing a park run in Paris on, on uh, where am I, on Saturday. And then I'm in Paris on Saturday. Um, I'll do some tourism in Paris on Saturday, Sunday morning. Back on the train to London on Sunday. Uh, hopefully meeting John and James Evans for a catch up with the books in London somewhere on the Sunday. It's, um, what's it called? Self-Publishing Formula Live in London on the Monday. And I know they've issued guidance to say it's still going on. And then I'm going to be at, what's it called? The book publish, you know, the, the book conference, the book fair, London book fair. I'm going to be at London book fair on the Tuesday. And then I'm hopping on a train home on Wednesday, by which case I might be coronavirus patient zero, having been to Paris, London and everywhere. I might be the guy who brings it back to Cumbria. So we are in that kind of ball game at the moment, aren't we? Um, so who knows? Hopefully I will be heading off on Friday, but we'll see how things pan out over the course of the week. Now, here's something very interesting about the London Book Fair and about self-publishing Formula Live in that I got a, um, a great email. I unpublished some sci-fi books. I've taken them off wide and put them into KTP Select for a little side project I'm running at the moment. And I, so they're unpublished on Published Drive. And I got an email from Published Drive saying, we noticed you've unpublished your books, anything we could do to help. And I've told you on this podcast before how brilliant I think Published Drive are with connecting to authors and also to me as a podcaster because I also got a an email I think was it I think it was an email it might have been a direct contact through LinkedIn um from uh Kinga Genteshish I think that's how you say her surname correctly uh Kinga at Publish Drive I got uh, an email saying uh, Kinga's good to be at the London Book Fair do you want to book in a meeting with us while you're there? So I've been um, talking to Publish Drive and, and trying to get this meeting. And they really are exceptional, Publish Drive, at re- reaching out. Now, I don't know whether it's because, I mean, some of you, I'm, guess, I'm guessing, will have been reached out to. I, I'm sure it's not just because I'm a, a podcast host, but they are extremely good with me. They always let me know about developments. They they send me press releases. They, you know, they remind me that I can affiliate for it. They have been extremely good at reaching out on a one-to-one level and, and feeling that they're, they're, they're looking at what I'm doing as an author now I don't know how they achieve that um I assume they're busy people they've got a lot of authors but it's very impressive it's really very impressive what published driver doing and I am hoping to meet up with them when I'm in London next week but um yeah I've got a lot of time for published drive it's the kind of business I like not only are they reaching out one-on-one to authors uh, but they're also very innovative and I love businesses that are innovative as you know I bought a Calytics report on at the weekend and I didn't even look at it. I didn't even read the video, uh, watch the video. I just bought it because they have done a Calytics report on psychological thrillers, which is exactly what I write. So I thought I, I, I saw that it was coming out. I can't remember where I heard Alex Newton. He was talking on somebody's podcast. I can't remember whose it was. And he mentioned it and my ears pricked up. And I thought, right, minute that comes out, I'm buying it. So I bought that. And um, it's absolutely, it's excellent. It's just, I mean, talk about super serving a niche. If you write psychological thrillers, buy that Calytics report. I can't remember what it's about, $39 or something like that, about £26, I think it came through on on PayPal, something like that. Um, But the data in that report is absolutely superb. I got a lot of time for Calytics. I came to Calytics late. I bought the, I've bought two reports now. So I've got, is it sci-fi and dystopian? I got last year's report. I, I think I'm waiting for this year's. 
uh, unless I've missed it already, but I think it's due out. And I got murder, what is it, murder, crime and thriller, which is broadly my genre. So I bought that, and I don't think we've got a new one coming out, but I, without blinking, I bought psychological thrillers, and the data in them is absolutely fantastic. And the, the reassuring thing about it is that I'm writing in one of the right genres. It's a hot genre. Uh, I'm listing in the right subcategories. Um, you know, a lot of the research that I've already done is is great, um, and, and there's so much good information there. So please, if you do write psychological thrillers, just buy the thing, and, and it's it's great. So a lot of time for Kalytics. Um, I, I haven't. I know a lot of people just buy everything from Kalytics. I tend to be more targeted with it, so I tend to just buy the Kalytics reports that I write in. Um, but they're brilliant. They're just that information is gold dust. So um, I've been reading quite a lot of nonfiction this week. Now I, I finally managed to, to finish Elements of Style. Uh, oh my goodness, that book! The funny thing about that book is, I'd have to say to you. You probably need to get it and read it. Most of it will be like gobbledygook, um, or it was to me anyway. I just like my eyes glazed over. But my eyes did what people's some people's eyes do when I'm teaching them about techie stuff. You know, they just like look like a rabbit in the headlights. Um, that's what my eyes did when I read Elements of Style. I still think it's important that I read it, mind you. Um, and, and actually, there were bits in there when it just like got on with it and told me what to do and what not to do. There were bits in there that actually I found incredibly useful. So my position on this book, and it is recommended, I think, by Stephen King on In Writing. So my position on this book is that you probably do need to buy it. I think it's part of an author's toolkit. Don't expect to understand about a quarter to a third of it, but there is some very good stuff in there. And it did really clarify some stuff for me about you know usage of colons, semicolons, and, and things like that that... I probably didn't even listen to when I was at school, even if they taught them. What I could do with is like a Janet and John version where Nip the dogs teach me about colons and semicolons. That's that's frankly what I need. I mean, I have a very low attention span for for kind of academia, academic stuff. Uh, now, I got a recommendation from John Cronshaw who recommended Eats, Shoots and Leaves. And John said this is a much more kind of palatable version of what they do in Elements of Style. And I was intending to move on to that next, but a bright, shiny object um, caught my attention. And I've actually bumped up two books uh, now, which I'm going to tell you about in a minute. One of them, uh, well, I've read one of them this week ahead of Eats, Shoots and Leaves. And then I liked this book so much that I bought another one in the series and I'm now working through that one. So you can see that when I like a book and, and, and I find it easy to digest, I rattle through it in no time at all. Uh, with elements of style, there was a lot of friction in there <laughs> stopping me from reading, I'm telling you. So the book that I've discovered that I have got on brilliantly with is Points of View. Hang on, is it called Point of View? Points of View. Point of View by Sandra Girth. Girth is spelt G-E-R-T-H. And I'll put links on my show notes for this week. Point of View by Sandra Girth. Absolutely brilliant for Point of View. And it's really written in a Janet, John and Nip the Dog kind of way. The kind of thing I like with bullet points, different, you know, lots of white space. Uh, Janet and John, that's what I call it, which is just very simple to read, very simply put ideas, not too much overwhelm of information for me. Nice bullet points. That's that's how I need to learn stuff. I can't learn it in a dense way. And that's that was my problem with Elements of Style. That book is so good. And as you know, I've struggled with point of view in my writing. 
Um, I also she's got four books, but these are the two that I want. Uh, Show don't tell, and I'm, I'm reading that, and you know it's just making sense to me in a way that it's never made sense before. This show don't tell. It's these books are so practical. They're just perfect for me. Now, I understand that we all learn in different ways. Um, elements of style, I'm sure some of you will have read that and thought, oh, yes, you know, what I need is something more challenging uh, than elements of style. OK, that's not the way I learn. That's I can't do it that way, I'm afraid. Um, whereas Sandra Gerth's books are absolutely spot on for me. Um, and they really make it two things that I've struggled with, point of view and show, don't tell. They really make it make sense for me in a simple Reader's Digest kind of a way. So I heartily recommend those two books to you. She's done another one. I think it's on time management. I don't, I'm not, I mean, I would read it if I didn't have as many books in my reading queue to read at the moment because they are very good books and you always pick up tips. But um, time management's not something I feel like I struggle with. And she's written some other one. I can't remember what it is, but it's not a topic that I struggle with. But I just wanted to buy the two with the things that I do struggle with. And um, as I say, I've put the links, save your hunting for them. I've put the links on this week's show notes for episode 190, 190. I also want to recommend, I, I seem like, I, it's just a standing order this. Listen to the Six Figure Author podcast. What a, what a good podcast that was. It's come out of nowhere and it's just instantly brilliant. They are such good questions and they're all geared to marketing. So, you know, I don't really want to know about your books. <laughs> uh, I don't mean that rudely. But I want to know how you sell your books. I want to know about marketing. They ask such pertinent questions on that podcast and I get so much value from it. Um, and they've got Mal Cooper on who wrote Help My Facebook Ads Suck. They had Mal Cooper on this week and they were talking about uh, Facebook ads, uh, you know, all sorts of advertising strategy. Blimey, Mal just shares some brilliant stuff in that interview and stuff that I haven't heard anywhere else. And interestingly, Mal said, in her opinion, Rapid release doesn't work. Isn't that interesting? I wish you'd told me before, Mal, or I wish you'd come on that podcast beforehand. That could have saved me 15 weeks worth of work. But Mal Cooper reckons that rapid release doesn't work. Mal reckons, and actually I'd have to concur with this. I think I said to you, one of my conclusions with rapid release is that you kind of, I think it works if you've got a whole list of hungry people just waiting for your next book. And I think it would work in that scenario. Or if you're, you know, you're brilliant at marketing and you can just stack them one after the other. But for me, who's really got, you know, quite a half-hearted, um, threadbare kind of audience, um, rapid release really didn't work for me. And clearly it had some values. I, I, my view is that it worked particularly well with the trilogy, for instance. It did work well with Left for Dead, with the Morgan Bay trilogy. It did work well with trilogies. And as you know, I've, t I've told you time and time again that trilogies are my sweet spot. They're, they're what worked particularly well for me. I know how to market them. Um, other people have different experiences, of course. Um, and, and you should find what suits you. But this is a really good interview. Please listen to this interview. I'll put the direct link on the show notes. It's the Six Figure Authors podcast with Mal Cooper, the author of Help My Facebook Ads Suck. Um, Mal has done two other books as well. I think it's about launches, I think, and something else that are coming out in March and April. Uh, I'm just going to buy the two of them because I um, Help My Facebook Ads Suck was brilliant. Uh, Mal also in that, if you, if you bought Help My Facebook Ads Suck, um, they've done a version two and you can actually download it for free if you want to, if you've got version one. So, and, and there's loads of new content in that new version of the book as well. So you should definitely check that out if you're thinking of or already using Facebook um, adverts. So that's pretty well it from me for this week's news. A couple of mentions, um, Edwin Downward 
has sent me a lovely picture of snow on the mountains in Canada. Edwin says, and for Paul Teague uh, on Twitter, snow-capped mountains as seen from Spanish banks in Vancouver in Canada. Thank you very much for that, Edwin. And then Adriana Liccio, who I hope is going to be in London. Um, I'm assuming you're still on your way, Adriana, um, for the self-publishing, what's it called? Self-publishing Formula Live in London. And Adriana has sent me a, a tweet as well. Uh, Adriana says, I've appreciated you sharing your numbers with Draft the Digital over the years. That was in last week's episode, 189. It shows that there's not a constant progression, but rather larger jumps from a year or one year to another uh, or every couple of years. And Adriana has shared some pictures with the most photogenic dog on earth. I think I've mentioned this before, haven't I, Adriana? Most photogenic dog on earth. Happiest looking dog on earth as well uh, from the Sunday walks where they live. That looks fantastic. Beautiful blue sky there. We haven't seen a lot of that in the UK, Adriana, at the moment. If you do come over for self-publishing Formula Live, if the coronavirus plans and travelling advice doesn't scupper any of that, get used to grey skies, I'm afraid. But I think you lived, did you say you lived in Scotland? I know you've lived in the UK for some time, so you'll be used to those grey skies, particularly if you lived in Scotland. Um, this is a late one from Daniel Saul. Um, who has been in a very nice venue with more snow. Um, this was probably, I think this maybe just came in a bit later. I forgot to put it in last week, Dan. Uh, off to Lobsy God's Manor outside Oslo on Sunday to give a research writing workshop for three days. Golly, my job, job sucks sometimes. This looks like some Christmas card image. It's an amazing place, Daniel. Um, so what a place to do a three-day um, writing workshop fantastic so I know Daniel travels around a bit as part of his work are you going to London Dan I'm sh I can't remember whether you said you were or not I've got I've got mixed up with who's going um do drop me a note if you are heading for London and in case I forget to mention it when I record next week's diary uh some of some of you will be listening to it on the your way to London probably next week um do let me know who you are because number one I should wear glasses I usually just wear them when they're doing the presentation so I can see the slides uh, I should wear glasses, but I'm short-sighted. So the chances of me walking straight past you are very high, even if we've met before. So please don't assume that I know you. You know, make sure you, you grab me because I'm terrible. I'm absolutely terrible with that stuff. So uh, please say hello. That's it then for this week's Author Diary. I'm going to be working on the edits of my podcasting book this weekend. And I will bring you up to date with what goes on in the next seven days before I head off for London. Whatever you're doing in your writing career, I hope you have a fantastic week of writing. Bye-bye for now. Thanks for listening to Paul's Podcast Diary. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed to hear next week's update and find out how many words get produced over the next seven days. Until then, we hope you have a great week of writing. Okay, so I forgot to tell you about that last headline, the momentous money-related matter that occurred this week. So here it is, later than it should have been, but I forgot to mention this. So the momentous money occasion is that this week I set up a standing order to pay myself a monthly salary from my business account from the 30th of April 2020. Now, when I tell you that that monthly amount is more than my wife used to earn when she was working part-time, you will know that that is a significant amount for me to set. That's why it's momentous, because for years, well, not for years, it hasn't been going that long, but in the early months, the early years of this podcast, those of you who've listened for a long time will know that one of the things I said to you is that my aim was to earn as much as my wife did when she was working part-time term time. And that was always my aspiration. 
and at a certain point I kept flogging that dead horse and eventually we got I, I, I breached it and, and then we reached a thousand dollars and then a thousand pounds and it's been building thank goodness steadily since then so I told you also that as part of our moves to get residencia in Spain that I wanted to show that the business was bringing in uh, a regular income just so that we could look all fancy pants when we go and apply for residential. It all looks very nice on paper. So I set up that standing order. And in this tax year, I basically want to be paying myself a salary from my writing business, from the business. So I set that up this week. It is for more than my wife used to earn doing that monthly term time job. And I wanted to set it at that because that was a target for me for such a long time in the early days of writing to breach that amount. That was the first target that I ever had because I figured that when I could earn at least that much or more than that much, I was now as an author bringing in a kind of tangible amount, amount of money that was making a difference, a significant difference uh, within the household. So uh, that just felt good. It feels momentous to me. It might not to you, but that monthly salary will definitely pay. I want to pay it on an ongoing basis now, uh, but it's definitely going to be paid for the whole of the next tax year because I know that already I've got the earned income to allow me to do that. So I just wanted to add that in, uh, not to show off, but just to let you know that if you are struggling with your author career, I don't consider that I'm doing very well at all, but just by keeping going and writing more books and releasing more books, that even though you don't get those six-figure years or you don't get those mega launches, you can, bit by bit, just through sheer will and bloody-mindedness, you can push those numbers up, keeping on doing the work, keeping on writing the books. And I'm by no means one of these you know, super-duper authors who's, who's, who's rolling in it from their book sales. But even in my own small way, I am now making enough to pay myself a small uh, monthly salary, which is in turn going to pay, uh, well, it's going to more than pay for this now, but it's going to at least pay for those five to six months that we spend in Spain. So my author career, my books, the books I've written and been working on for the past five years are now generating an income that could buy very tangible and nice things uh, in our life. So far from being one of those rich six-figure authors, but actually a lot of the time um, to feel like you've at least achieved something, you don't actually need to hit those figures. That's still what I aspire to. I won't consider myself successful until I, I've hit those figures. I want to have that six-figure year, if I can. Uh, then I will feel like I've really done something that's worth shouting about. But until then, I'm happy to have this one small success. And as I said, those of you who've listened to this podcast from the early days will know how significant and important that number is to me. So there you go. Sorry I forgot that. That's it now. I will see you next week. Bye-bye for now.